0: My name is Justin Curtis. I get the privilege of serving as a pastor at a church down the road, Quorum Deo Church, and I come here with greetings from uh, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ uh, from Quorum Deo. It is good to be in the room with you. There's a number of faces that I recognize. There's even more that I don't, uh, and it's just an honor to be in the room. So thank you for having me, for welcoming me. Let me, let me just start by asking the question, do you ever find yourself thinking about where Jesus is right now? Like, do you ever think about where Jesus is right now, and, and perhaps even, does it matter to you? Uh, the Bible tells us that following the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he spent 40 days speaking to his disciples about the kingdom of God. And then the Apostles' Creed says, which we just professed together, that he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. You are navigating your way through the Apostles' Creed uh, during the weeks this summer, Um, And one thing that you're going to notice is that the writers, the architects of this creed, spent more ink on the person and work of Jesus Christ than anything else. Uh, The Apostles' Creed speaks to the deity of Jesus. It speaks to the humanity of Jesus, the suffering and the death of Jesus. It speaks to what happened in Jesus' death and resurrection. And in all of this, what the Apostles' Creed is doing is it's developing our Christology, now, Christology is, is, is a word, it simply means our understanding or our study of the person of Jesus Christ, and that is an essential component of the Christian faith, right? If you're going to know what it means to be a Christian, it's important for you to know who Jesus Christ is, what he has done, and I would even argue where he is today. Christology is perhaps the most intimidating and yet one of the richest doctrines of the Christian Faith. And there's something awe inspiring that happens when you set your gaze and you kind of devote your attention to the person of Jesus. You become more impressed with Jesus. And that's a good and redemptive thing. And if you're a non Christian in the room this morning, um, I just want to say you want to be in a community that makes much, much of Jesus. Like if you're exploring the Christian faith, you want to be in a community that is making much of the person of jesus christ minimizing jesus to being just a good moral teacher right or a good character somebody who you should model your life after will not introduce you to the fullness of what god offers you in the gospel so um, man you you want to be in a community that makes much of jesus it helps you to and and gives you uh, insight into the clarity of who god is inviting you to become And for those of you who are Christians, a strong Christology, a strong understanding of who who Jesus is also enables you to walk in confidence with regards to who God has made you to be. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to focus our attention, as we consider Jesus, I want to focus our attention particularly to the ascension of Jesus Christ, a topic that we tend to to overlook. Uh, Rankin Wilborn, in his excellent book, Union with Christ, if you've not read this book, I recommend reading this book. Uh, Pastor Paul mentioned it might go out in the weekly uh, email this week highlighting this book, but he says this. I think he hits the nail on the head. He says, the ascension of Jesus is not often seen to be a critical part of our faith today. Of all the aspects of Christ's life, perhaps no aspect has been more neglected than this, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. I just want to help us change that narrative, right? I want to help us change the narrative for the people of First City Church. I want you to know why and care about, care about the ascension. Why the ascension is good news. Why the ascension matters to us today. And the answer may be more counterintuitive than you think. So here's what I want to do. I want to draw our attention to a short portion of Peter's sermon um, at Pentecost, and I want to I look at what he has to say about the ascension, and I want to do so, I want to draw out two implications from, uh, from that which we have probably do not think too much about. So if you haven't done so yet, open your Bible to Acts 2, open your app, whatever you have. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 32. Let me read the text over us again. And again, draw your attention to what this text has to say about the ascension of Jesus Christ. Acts 2, picking up in verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. Here's implication number one. The ascension of Jesus means that he is more fully present than you have ever thought. The ascension of Jesus means that he's more fully present than you ever thought, right? Right? Ben Myers, in his book, The Apostles' Creed, says this, When the New Testament writers speak of the ascension, they are not describing Jesus' absence, but his sovereign presence throughout creation. He has not gone away, but has become even more fully present. Because he has ascended, his life is universally available. How is that possible? I don't know if many of you have climbed mountains before. Um, I've had the privilege of climbing a couple 14ers in Colorado that's not me boasting. Basically, I just followed behind a guide who knew where he was going, and I just tried to keep my breath. But here's one thing I noticed, climbing a 14er in Colorado. You can see on that trail, you can tend to see about, about 50, 50 yards or so in front of you, about 50 yards behind you, but, man, there's so many false summits that you just you can't quite grasp the whole mountain as you're making it's, your way to the top. But once you get to the top, your awareness of what's happening on that mountain changes. Your presence, in terms of what you see happening on that mountain, changes. Jesus has ascended into heaven and is now more fully present than we'd ever thought, just from his position, just from his viewpoint, but it goes much deeper than that, right? When Jesus walked the earth, for example, he was limited by the space-time continuum, Now, don't go back to the future too quickly or don't go Inception too quickly. Basically, what I I mean when I say that is uh, if you wanted to experience the presence of Jesus while he was on this earth, you actually had to be where Jesus was, right? If Jesus was hanging out with Lazarus, you had to be hanging out with them. If Jesus was spending time near the Sea of Galilee doing teaching and you wanted to experience the presence of Jesus, you had to be near him, right? If you wanted to experience the presence of Jesus, you had to be in the physical presence of Jesus. And when Jesus entered into into human history, he kind of laid aside his ability to be everywhere all the time. But when he ascended into heaven, he picked back up that ability. And now is not only able to see everywhere, he's actually able to be everywhere. He's able to be in all places, in all dimensions simultaneously, meaning nothing exists in the universe outside of the presence of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Jesus is now more fully present than you ever have thought. And yet it goes even deeper. In John 14, in Jesus' farewell discourse, he says these words to his disciples. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Now go back to Acts 2, verse 33, where it says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Do you see this selfless, fun, kind of generous interplay between the Trinity? Like the Father gives to the Son the Spirit and the Spirit doesn't just take it and gobble it up, but he he gives the Spirit away to the church. See, the ascended Christ now lives in believers Through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is more present now than you would have ever thought. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Christ lives in those who are united with him and has taken up residence in your heart. Talk about being fully present. Right? He's with you. He's dwelling within you. But it goes even deeper still. Like Christ is not only with you, but you are now united with Christ. Because of your union with Christ, not only does Christ live in you, but you too are in Christ. Now I want you to hear this, and and again, I can't do full justice to it, but in some mysterious way, here's what this means. This means that the Christian, because of his or her union with Jesus Christ, is now joined up with him at the right hand of the Father. Allow your imagination to chew on that for a while. Right, Like you are united with Christ as he sits and is seated at the right hand of the Father. You're in that. Ben Meyer says it this way. He says, because Jesus has ascended, he is even nearer to us and to all things. And through our union with Christ, we also share in his ascension. The lives of believers are now forever located in Christ, as Paul often says. When Jesus ascends to the Father, he takes our humanity with him. In Jesus, our nature has taken up residence in the presence of God. Not only is Jesus actively interceding and praying for you at the right hand of God, but our nature has taken up residence with him as well. Friends, the ascension of Jesus Christ means that he's more fully present than you ever have considered. He's more fully present than you ever would have thought. So how does this apply to us? For those of you who perhaps have struggled with an abandonment, right? Maybe you have felt abandoned by good friends. Maybe you are estranged from a spouse or have been abandoned from a spouse. Maybe, man, as a child, you were abandoned from your parents, and, and you just start to feel the moment somebody starts to back up from you, as soon as somebody starts to remove their presence from you, right, you just shut down right? You just, I'm not going to deal with her anymore, right? I'm going to do this life on my own. Man, hear the good news that every time it seems like Jesus is pulling away from you, he's actually giving more of himself. It's counterintuitive. In his death, he gives you life. In his burial and resurrection, he gives you victory over death. In his ascension, he gives you the fullness of his presence. For those of you who struggle with abandonment, just see the true reality that, man, the more you trust in the presence and faithfulness of Jesus Christ, you'll find within yourself a capacity to be able to trust others as well. There may be others of you who just think, man, Jesus is too busy to deal with my life, right? I, I was meeting with a friend recently, and uh, he was just sharing just some of the things that he's going on, and, and, you know, it was just kind of that token thing at the end, but, hey, it's not that big of a deal, you know, there's, there's worse things going on. I mean, look at, look at Ukraine, right? Look at the economy. Look at all these other things that are out there that are more important than my own life. Jesus doesn't operate that way, right? Like, he, he's not limited from his position of authority. He's not limited to like, man, having to prioritize things and figuring out how am I, I going to take care of all these things at one time. No, he sees all. He knows all. He gives himself to whatever you need and whatever you have going on, right? This is the presence of God, and it's full. And he's at the right hand of the Lord, praying for you, interceding with you. So, hey, the first implication, right, of the ascension of Jesus is he's more fully present than you've ever thought, okay? Tuck that into your mind. Here's implication number two. The ascension of Jesus means he's more powerful than you've ever thought. The ascension of Jesus means that he's more powerful than you've ever thought. It says he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Nearly every theologian, scholar, commentary book that I read on this invited me to consider just the cosmic drama of this reality. One of the things you'll find is you, you get more familiar with reading the Bible over time, uh, one of the things you'll see is that when you see, when you see this idea of the presence of God, your mind's going to start going back to some of the Old Testament dynamics of being in the presence of God, right? Like in uh, Leviticus 16 and 17, um, the, to enter into the presence of God, you'd have to enter into this temple that was constructed, and, and the high priest, right, once a year would go, into, would go into the temple, and he would enter into this place that was called the Holy of Holies, which was a, which was a place where God's presence dwelt with his people in the Old Testament. And he would go in there to make sacrifices for God's people. And as you read through it, you just almost feel the tension and the stress and the weight of being that person in that moment, right? Like, you had to do everything perfectly. Like, if you messed up one iota in the presence of God, just imagine, just dead. Like, it wasn't going to go well for you. Right? And what that is communicating is it's depicting the, the, the power and the holiness of God. Right? You had to be clean and you had to do things right ritualistically to enter into the presence of God. Um, some of the story that goes with it uh, would indicate that they would tie a rope. Again, this isn't in the Bible, but just imagine. They would tie a rope at the ankle of the high priest just in case he messed it up. That way, if he just went down dead, they could just grab the rope and just drag him out, okay? It it gives you a grasp of just the weight and the significance. And when the high priest was in there, like, he was always standing. His work was never done. Like, he was in the presence of God working. Now, with that as the backdrop, just consider that as the backdrop of being in the presence of God. We have Jesus Christ, who on the cross exclaims, It is is finished. The forgiveness of sins, the washing away of shame, the removal of guilt, the disempowerment of sin, victory over death, the defeat of Satan. It is finished. And then he descends to the dead, He, he rises from the grave and he ascends into heaven. Now see the difference here, because this is not like the day of Atonement, Leviticus 16:17, high priest moment. like, this is Jesus. Entering into the presence of the Father with so much assurance, so much confidence, I I kind of imagine he's got a little bit of a hop in his step, right? Like he's returning home. There's this, this spirit of joy and strength to him, and he goes to the right hand of the Father, and he sits down. Like the work's done. There's no more work to do. He sits himself down at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 10 says it this way. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet." The author of Hebrews is alluding to the same thing that Peter points out in this sermon at Pentecost, which is also the same thing that King David foreshadowed in Psalm 110. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, looking forward, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. The ascension of Jesus Christ means that he's more powerful than you ever thought. Jesus ascending to the right hand of the Father is the inauguration of His kingdom. Jesus' ascent to the right hand of the Father is His public enthronement over all worldly powers. Jesus' ascent to the right hand of the Father is your reminder that you have been forgiven of your guilt, you have been accepted in your shame, and you are protected in your fear. You can't undo your past, but the ascent of Jesus to the right hand of the Father means you no longer have to be defined by it. He's writing a new story. Jesus' ascent to the right hand of the Father is not just His victory, it's your victory if you are united with Christ. Jesus' ascent to the right hand of the Father shows us His immense power, His immense greatness, and His immense love. Sin loses its power, death loses its sting, Satan has been triumphed over in the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father where he sits down. The enemies of God, the enemies of God's people, the enemies of God's kingdom will be made a footstool. Yeah. Right? He's just sitting there putting his feet up on them. Right? Hate and the source of hate is a footstool. Jealousy and the source of jealousy is a footstool. pornography and the sources of pornography, footstool. To those of you who believe that Jesus now is powerless until his return, see Jesus in his glory ruling and reigning over all of creation until his return. We functionally live as though Jesus right now is handcuffed. Right, We functionally live as though the chaos that we're experiencing in this world, like the, the ending has not been written. Hey, let me tell you, friends, the ending has been written. All of the evil, all of the wickedness, all of the demonic, all of the things that are working against God's people, any sort of rebellion against God has a time limit to it. It will not last. It has been defeated. I love this analogy. I can't remember, I can't remember who it is. But... But he talks about he talks about like when you come across a dog who's just like growling and snarling at you, right? There's fear because man, you don't want to get bitten. Man, the enemy is like the dog that's had all of its teeth removed. <laughs> like let him growl all he wants; he can't do anything because Jesus is ruling and reigning from his place of position and power. One of the privileges I have is just down the street on 370. The Omaha Storm Chasers play at Warner Park, and I get to serve as the chaplain there. And this year we've been, um, we've been when I'm meeting with the guys and doing discipleship, we're looking at characters throughout, throughout the Scriptures. Um, and one of the things we keep coming back to over and over again is how biblical masculinity, how it looks like many times throughout the Scriptures is men using their power and their position to provide and protect for those who are in need. Jesus is the ultimate example of that. One who uses his power in his position to protect and to provide for those who are in need. So these are the two implications. The ascension of Jesus means he's more fully present than you've ever thought. The ascension of Jesus means he's more powerful than you've ever thought. So let me apply these two implications as a way of closing with two simple truths. If you are united with Jesus, Jesus is with you and Jesus is for you. That's that's what you can take home. If you are united with Jesus, Jesus is with you and Jesus is for you. And when these two truths collide together, what emerges in God's people is tremendous confidence. Jesus wants you to have that confidence. Jesus wants you to navigate this world Monday through Sunday with your head up and your shoulders back with confidence. Just remember, when he gives his commission, his great commission, he gives, he gives this, this, this commission to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. He gives the church that charge, and in, in, what he does is he sandwiches that charge between these two promises. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, power, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Presence right so as jesus as he's communicating to his disciples to go and to make disciples to go be the church to go extend my kingdom he's saying hey i am with you and i am for you and i'm going to see this to the end this explains peter does it not i mean the one who's preaching this sermon in pentecost who when he's in the presence of jesus Is like this strong, arrogant, chest out, like manly man. But in the absence of Jesus, he just quivers. Right? He just quivers. Peter knows as he's standing in Acts 2, Jesus has ascended. When he's preaching, he knows Jesus is with him, he knows that Jesus is for him. And he preaches and proclaims with such spirit filled power. The thousands come to faith. Man, the response to this sermon, the response to this sermon is just, it's out of this world, right? He preaches this sermon and people are like, hey, what do I have to do to become a Christian, (laughs) right? Like, that's what people are asking. 3,000 that day added to the church. Jesus wants you to navigate this life with confidence. So let me just merely ask you, where do you need confidence today? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your stewardship? What areas of your life do you feel overwhelmed? Like if another wave hits you, you might not be able to get your head above water. Man, I mean, I love this church. Like from what I've seen, man, of the overwhelmingness of kids. Like I can only imagine how many moms, no offense, dad, how many moms just feel overwhelmed by all that's on their plate? Right? Jesus wants you to walk with confidence. Hey, and let me, let me also ask, where, do you, where are you playing back? Where are you playing back? Like, where do you feel, man, the Spirit's nudging you, and maybe you don't want to even go that way, man. Maybe, wh- where are the circumstances so lining up For you to do something for the kingdom of God, but man, you're just nervous. Jesus is with you, and Jesus is for you. So let's lean into those moments. Wherever you need confidence this morning, hear this. If you are united with Christ, Jesus is for you, Jesus is with you. Jesus is not merely a man who was crucified. Jesus is the Son of God who was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And because he is seated at the right hand of the Father, he is with you and he is for you. You have been forgiven of your guilt. You have been accepted in your shame. You are protected in any area of your life where you feel afraid or anxious so that now you can orient your lives with courageous confidence around the coming kingdom of God. So let me pray that for you and ask for the Spirit to fill you with that confidence in light of not only who Jesus is, but in light of where Jesus is.